Hey. Welcome to Every Playlist Tells a Story. Hey. Hey. Nice, nice to see you, Todd. Good seeing you, Jimmy. So here we are. December. The heat of it all. The heat of it all? The heat of it all. What well, is? Got up in it's, 60s. It's, it's right? been warm. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's weird. The warm day, I was outside doing something and like a bee flew by. I'm like, man, come on. A bee. Yeah. Or something. Something big and buzzing. I'm assuming it was a bee, but could have been a hornet. It's not the medication. It's not the medication. Okay, that's good. Maybe. Shit, I don't know. Well, you know, medication <laughs> could do. You can always blame the medication. <clears throat> yep. Uh, we do get nice breaks in the weather around We here. do get, yeah. Yep. But I'm telling you what, man, I'm still, and I don't know if I'm the only one or not, but I got a electric snowblower for my birthday last year. Oh, my God. That's a big waste of money. Well, I hate shoveling snow. That's a, like a in case of emergency break glass kind of thing. I guess. But it was, I mean, it was on sale. Got it for my birthday. So I was all excited last year. How much snow did we get last year? None. Yeah. Yeah. I, I bought four-wheel drive. Yeah. For the same reason. Like, yep. there's going to be a day. Yeah. Well, I'm going to need it because I remember that blizzard in, what was it, 2003, 2004? Yeah. I was like, you know, I had two-wheel drive. I uh-huh. wasn't getting out of the house. Right, I, yeah. I, I couldn't do it. I, no, I was yep. dependent upon four-wheel drivers to get me out. Yep. And I was like, never again, never again. And has there been a blizzard like that nah. since? And Not really. And probably when you get rid of your four-wheel drive truck, it'll, you know, you'll get your little front-wheel drive something and... Yeah, and I'll be we'll get just, another blizzard. It, it'd probably be rear rear wheel like that one was yep. my S10. And exactly. Yeah, I'll be suspending the front, just be <laughs> forget it, you know. Uh, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I'm hoping for snow. So I like the little warm breaks. It's nice because I just despise the cold, but yeah. I really do want a decent amount of snow because I just I want to get this thing out and test t- it, test it, and to the point where I'll probably just go to neighbors' houses and just do their driveways without telling them just. And it's electric, so I you know, have an extension cord. I didn't get a gas one. All the way to your neighbors? Huh? All the way to your neighbors? Well, I'll probably just plug into wherever they're at. I'll just plug into their house. I'm not <laughs> right. going to run a cord from my house down the street. <laughs> you got a 300-yard uh, <laughs> line. Exactly. Okay. So uh, one of the things that's been on my mind lately and kind of turns into a question for you a little bit. So my brother had been posting on Facebook a couple weeks ago. Uh, I guess he was hearing the song Crazy Bitch by Buck Cherry. Okay. Every day. He had an, and I called him and, and verified. I was like, you know, I know you got to like the third or fourth day I was seeing he was posting on social media about it. But I checked with him and uh, he went, I think it was six consecutive days hearing it from, you know, the place he works, there's like a shop. And I guess somebody in the shop was, that was part of their playlist. So he okay. would hear Crazy Bitch for six consecutive days. And then I think there's a weekend in there or whatever. I'm talking about work days. There was one day he didn't hear it and then popped back up again on the seventh. And he did note that, you know, one of those versions, there was a live version kind of thrown in there, I guess, to mix it up. And okay. I got, and so I was thinking about it and I remember it was like two years ago and I, there was some weird every, every Monday or every Tuesday, whatever day of the week it was, I'd be, you know, I'd be driving to the grocery store or going running errands or whatever. But, and there was a time I went like three months without even trying. And I always heard a Bon Jovi song Oh, on a particular song, day. Yeah. And it was a different song. And it just, you know, after two or three weeks of it, it was like, well, oh, this is kind of weird that this is happening. And, you know, I, you ever go on any weird runs like that where you hear the same thing or hear something 
Repetitive. Natalie Imbruglia. I'm a bitch. No, no. no. What's that? What, what's, she sings what's, those sappy songs like "Torn." Okay. Um, she had a couple of hits. For some reason, I always hear those two two songs. I can't remember what the other one was. Her big hit was "Torn," right? Which came out like I don't know. It was in the nineties, late nineties. For some reason, I that I always like if I'm in a like grocery store or it comes on the radio or I don't know. It just follows me everywhere. Really. Yeah, that's... Meredith Brooks was on my bitch. Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, Meredith Brooks. But, yeah, Natalie and Brulia. Now, I can't explain it, but it's like, well, I always notice 10.02 on my on the on the clock. Okay. Like, for some reason, 10.02 always... I always catch the clock when it's 10.02. That's When's your birthday? 10.02. And, uh, and the reason I bring it up is because... October 2nd. Because I look at the clock, and I always catch 11.17. Isn't that funny? And it's bizarre. Well, like eleven eleven is that way too for a lot of people. Yeah, eleven eleven, some sort of lovers. I'm thinking about you thing, as as I understand. Really, it. that's the story I've always heard. I've just recently heard about it. But but mine's ten o two. Yeah, you catch ten o two, and I catch. It's that's crazy. Ten o two and Natalie and Brulia. Those are the things that follow me everywhere. Thank God it's not Bon Jovi. I couldn't imagine. I, you know, it's not all that bad. You know, I know how you feel I about am, Bon Jovi. That, that is, if there's one right. band that could just go away, right? And, and I know people love them. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I get attacked by females everywhere when oh, I yeah. say what, on social media, "What is that, wrong with you?" Yeah. All these girls. Exactly. That's John my bon point. Bon Jovi's America's sweetheart for for females. Now I met guys that like them. Sure. And I steer clear of them. It's a it's a it's a different like though. No? Explain that. Well, I think explain a guy that loves the song "Bed of Roses." Oh, I can't. That, there's no explanation for that. There's no explanation. I can't relate to that. Yeah, but I mean, I've but, had my rant on Bon Jovi, right? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. we've talked okay. many times. The, uh, but what I'm saying is like, uh, you know, "Blaze of Glory." I don't mind that song that much. Yeah, it's a little hokey, but. I, a guy would like that versus maybe a, a girl like in the Better Roses that you mentioned. It's just a different. You're looking for different things in the song, maybe. You, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, you, don't ask me because yeah. I hate it all. You hate it. All. I, I like his first two albums. So Runaway, the, the band, and the the one with Runaway, and then the Slippery One Wet. No, no, that was the third one. The second oh, one was the uh, when. It was a, the temperature the rock melts at. Oh, I remember the, the number. Fahrenheit. Yeah, what yeah. was it? Had in and out of love. In and out of love. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I I was like, yeah, they're coming up, you know. Right. And then slippery and wooden wet hit, and I was like, okay, yeah, one day we're alive. And then after the thousandth time, I was like, ah, oh, this ain't rocking Led Zeppelin here. I mean, it's. I was like, ah, right, they're yeah. getting way too much love, and they're using the whole metal. It was a visual metal. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Dress up and what the the f- facade of metal as to what they are. Okay, you know what I mean. And yeah. I was just like, and they're, they're part of the reason why metal got destroyed by by the time Nirvana showed up. I guess they contributed it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's an evolution because you look at stuff like Motley Crue. That theater pain record was pretty poppy. <clears throat> well, 
the ballots started taking over, yeah. right? The yeah. rock ballots. Yeah. I mean, there's it's kind of a blessing Nirvana showed up by that oh, yeah. point. Because then you by then you had like Firehouse and Nelson. Trickster. Trickster. You know, all these like, ah, this ain't you know, this ain't Dio Sabbath, this ain't yeah. British Steel. It became a very calculated visual it needed you needed to have the formula. Well, it was mainstream. Yeah. It was on pop radio. Yeah. Like I don't know if I ever mentioned it, but when Ozzy played at at the at the, at the amphitheater in eighty six, yeah, with you know it's supposed to be Metallica, it was right. the opening act, but you know, was it Hetfield broke Hetfield broke his yeah. arm skateboarding down yep. the hill. Um, that show was sponsored by WSTO, which is top forty. Really? Yeah, on I the ticket it that. says that WSTO oh, presents Ozzy Osbourne. They were playing the Ultimate Sin stuff, you know. That's crazy. Metal was pop radio. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, it just kind of lost its, you know, lost meaning. The danger. Yeah, the danger or yeah. whatever, right? It became too friendly. What I remember of 96 STO was uh, every Friday at 5 o'clock, Loverboy working for the weekend. <sighs> every Friday, 5 o'clock. Makes sense. Yeah. I don't know the reason why I don't like it. Uh, probably. <laughs> that and... Um, Loving every minute of it, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised Golden Corral has not picked up on that. Yeah, loving every minute of the buffet. Yeah, you know, it's it's it was written made for Golden it. Corral, made for Golden Corral. Yeah, God. So anyway, I just, I, yeah, I went down that that kind of wormhole of just thinking about, like I said, you know, hearing the Bon Jovi every week, and I just thought it was interesting because my, you know. We all have our song or well, band and the, that follows and the, us. And the right? question that is kind of like with the Bon Jovi, you know, I got comfortable hearing it just because it was so much repetition. I don't know that my brother's ever gotten comfortable with, you know, crazy bitch. But when you hear something repeatedly like that, that you're against, like you're Natalie Imbruglia, have you come, <laughs> come and I'm saying that wrong, but no, no, I just, it's an odd, have you come to terms odd. with it? Are you kind of, are you comfortable with it? Or do you still have that? Uh, no, I still got the, uh, I always okay, have the, uh, okay. because that's so not me. Okay. All right. It's just like, why, why is it her? <laughs> why does she want me? Why, why do you why follow she, me? Just why is she tormenting me? Leave me the hell alone. I've told Kat that. I was just like, I don't know why the fuck it's her. I mean, of all music, all <laughs> bands or artists, why her? I mean, she had her little five minutes in the right. in the sun. It's but yet it's it's odd. It's odd. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. Okay. Is that the way you feel about Bon Jovi? <laughs> Man, Bon Jovi's never bothered me to the level of it bothering you. And I I, I have found that over the years, I kind of look, I've kind of embraced. Maybe deep down. The hokiness of it all. Yeah, maybe deep down. It's just, you, know? you embrace it. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, yeah, uh, there, there's, there's stuff about their songs. And I'm sure I'll eventually do a Bon Jovi song just because I've embraced it. And just, <laughs> just to see the look on your face and hear you. Remind me to keep my mouth shut. Take that deep breath and, yeah. and disgust. Now it's. Uh, you know, again, there's so, there's something about. Now, I don't like all the Bon Jovi songs, but there's something. I used to love that Runaway and the In and Out of Love. I used to love that stuff, but I don't anymore. And I don't know if it's just a transition of hearing. Oh, I don't the other crank. Stuff yeah, more. I don't crank it like I no. did in '85. No, not anymore. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Well, hell, they don't play that anymore. It's just like that didn't exist. You yeah. know, it's just slipper and wet on. Right. Yeah. yeah. New Jersey and all when that. Got, when it got big. Yeah. 
The other things I've got on my list to just kind of touch on is, have you ever, and I know you're big on the YouTube, man, and I know you have, but the Slayer Christmas lights uh, display, I think it was 2013. I think if you go to YouTube and type Slayer Christmas lights 2013, it's the one where it's got the elf on the drums lit up. There's a Santa Claus playing guitar. Snowman is singing the Slayer songs. I don't think so. Oh, my God. I'll put a post up. It's my favorite thing this time of year. It's it's my go-to. It's like every I get into December, and one of the things I have to do is go look this. You know, And there's Metallica ones, and there's a couple different Slayer ones. I say Slipknot I've seen. Slipknot, yeah, I've seen that. This one I like because most of the time it's, it's, it's just done with – lights and you know the bushes are lit up and things are moving around i like this one because like i said there are characters that are built so there's like a drum kit lit up with lights and an elf playing drums and then santa claus with lights and he's playing guitar it's just fascinating i love it and my and as odd as it is my favorite part of it is when they do rain in blood because i think there's just something so odd about the joy of christmas and slayers rain and blood mashed up together well, i told you my favorite song Christmas song lately is the the mashup right. of Rain and Blood and Wham's uh, Last Christmas. Last Christmas. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I've always loved that. So so that's one of my things. And and you know, I looked it up the other day and I got to thinking about it last time. I know we talked about, you know, time travel and what would you what would you change? <laughs> oh, you gave it some thought. I, I gave it a little thought. Okay, good. And in watching this, I would go back to the beginning of this pandemic stuff. Marchish, I guess. All right. I'm going to call it. And I would have probably started designing something like this for my house. What? The the Christmas light slayer. Oh. I, I would start okay. putting together something like, because, you know, I guess it's like a kit you buy and you just got to program everything and, and do all that. So I, I might have, I might, that might be my go, go back in time to do. Because I get to Christmas every year and I watch and I go, God, I got to do that. That would be so much fun. This would have been the year to do it. I mean, you, you're talking probably you have to get the software to run. There's software involved, yeah. You know, building the program. Yep, yep. Yeah. And then setting all the timing and programming. Because there's a house, there's a house, I don't know, a couple of blocks over that we go to every year, and they do something like that. And you just pull up and you watch. They've got three or four songs. You sit there for 20 minutes and go through the go through their little playlist, listen to it on your radio, and you can see what's going on. You know, there are light, lights flashing on the house and stuff, so. Yeah, but yeah, you have to like tune into a radio yep, station. Yep, you got to tune in. They got yeah, a lot of FM. There's one not far from here, actually. Yeah, so that's pretty popular. But you know, everybody seems there's houses now. I don't know if you've seen them. There's one stretch of houses over in Newburgh that's like inflatable hell. I mean, it is, <laughs> right. it is like five, four or five houses on one side, three houses on the other side, and it feels like a thousand of those damn things. Right, and it's and it's interesting to me because I drove by it yesterday during the day, and everything's deflated, and it just looks like they've just been slaughtered. Yeah, it's just it's crazy. Yeah, it, well, here in Chandler, just driving out to your house, there's yeah. one. Yeah, oh yeah, there's and one just right yeah, that stoplight. Not designed for daytime no, appeal no. at all. It, it just looks like a, a like you pick your trash up, you know? Exactly, exactly. But no, for my time travel question from last week, I think I would. Uh, I'd go back to March and start planning out what I do. So it'd be rain and blood slayer. <sighs> that's, that's the thing. That's probably what hangs me up too is because I would, you know, today it would be, but tomorrow it could be, Oh man, maybe I should do psychosocial by Slipknot or I, you should do a medley. Oh, I mean, that's yeah. what most of them do. Yeah, yeah. Come up with like four, three or four songs, something, you know, put on a show, but I, I don't know. 
So that's my time travel question answer. Let's go back to March and start figuring out what I do. Okay. So I would go back to, you know, save the lives of 95, 85 million people. And right. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to design a Christmas display for my house for Christmas. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I love the disappointment. <laughs> I love the disappointment in your eyes. Uh, and then another thing I ran across, I know me and you both ACDC fans, I saw something on one of the social things. Angus was talking about the album that defined the sound of ACDC, and it was Let There Be Rock. Oh, of course. My favorite yeah, favorite, favorite album. Yeah. And I'll go down. I mean, yeah. there's not too many songs about getting the blowjob out there. Well, probably a lot more now. I think that was a whistle. Same one. Who's, oh, who sings the song Whistle? Whistle. Yeah, I've always heard that's about that. Oh, really? Yeah. Let's see here. Oh, I mean, Bond Scott's a little more direct about it. Oh yeah, no, this one is. Uh, this, but one, I mean, the opening guitars. I mean, Flow Rider. I always heard Flow Rider. Okay, Flo yeah, Rida. I I've always heard that, that songs about blowjobs. Okay, all right, you got me there. I've not dissected <clears throat> it, so I don't. So know. I, I apologize. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I always heard that Angus and Malcolm. You know, their brother was a producer of the early right. stuff, and they said they wanted to get a big guitar sound on that album and it's yeah it's huge every song is just monster guitars you know front to back that's just a fantastic album oh for it me. is i love the album cover of it just with the clouds opening up above him on stage oh it's almost heavenly yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it's cool and even that yeah that's a great record though but yeah that's i thought that was interesting that he was taking the stands that that's the defining acdc record mm, yeah they, i mean they, they got play at least play a whole lot of rosie off that right I mean, that's always a standard. Electric rocker, rock usually. Is Rocker on that one? What, what song? Rocker? Uh, that's Dirty Deeds. Is that on Dirty Deeds? Okay. Yeah. That's a good song, too. I could tell you every song on there. Yeah, right let's here. do it. Run through the list. Uh, Go Down. Okay. Dog Eat Dog. Right. Let There Be Rock. Uh, the USA version uh, um, has Problem Child, but I think it's on the, I'm thinking the album now. So, Go Down. Doggy, Doggy dog. dog, Let There Be Rock, Problem Child, Overdose, Hell Ain't a Bad Place to Be. That's a great song. That's an underrated song, man. That's a great song. I love that song. And that's one of the things about, you know, I said that last episode, is that lyrically, they're just not, the, they're they're not as sleazy yeah. as they used to be. Right, yeah. Comparing a relationship to being in hell, but it's not a bad place to be. Right. As opposed to, you know, stiff upper lip, you yeah. know, and goes on and just like it's not not the same acdc still sounds the same right but lyrically right. they just need help and even brian johnson had sink the pink and right you know shake your foundations and you know gun for hire my, you know need no excuse for letting it all hang loose my body's full of juice rising power you know <laughs> so that's that's my hang up with current acdc right. they're just too safe yeah they just you know, they don't piss people the old folks off like they used to because I right. guess they are the old folks. But yeah, yeah, I missed a song. What song am I not thinking of off that album? It's the fourth track off side one. I'm going back to my high school days here. Right, go down, doggy dog. Let there be rock. Bad boy boogie. Bad boy boogie. That's a, that's where bad boy boogie is when. During the live show back in the day, that's when Angus would do his little strip tease and move yeah. the crowd. Yeah, um, that was uh, the Did long play. Did you say play. a lot of Rosie? 
That's the last track. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's before, or that's after Hell Ain't a Bad Place to Be. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great record. Good stuff. Yep. Two more things here before we get started. I've mentioned it before on the TikTok. DJ Cummerbund does it again. Mash up Britney Spears, B-52s, Rob Zombie. Yeah, that's an interesting mix. It's an extreme, interesting mix, but uh, I'm into it. I dig it. So, Cumberbund keeps churning out the hits. And then, last thing, my Christmas pick of the week. There is, uh, let's see, I'm gonna go Andy Williams. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Interesting. And there is an August Burns red instrumental rock version of it that I haven't played for you yet, but I'll play it for you. I, I, I was just like, you know, Andy Williams, that's about far from you as I would imagine. No, sometimes I'm, man, I get traditional sometimes. I like that traditional old school. Happy, happy beyond happy. Sound, yeah. 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 So it's like you almost need a pill to be that happy. Sometimes. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you know, those kind of. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's my pick of the week, man. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's just nice traditional sound. Like I said, there's a cool rock version of it, the August Burns Red, but I believe it's all instrumental. There's just a fun little. I never mentioned it. my favorite, my favorite church Christmas song. No, it's um, O Come O Come Emmanuel. All right. It, lyric lyrically, it's just as metal as any deal song out there. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, look up the lyrics. I mean, it's very. Dark, you're in a dark place, but you're you know reaching for the light okay. kind of song. Okay. Yeah, okay. it's very anti Andy Williams. Anti Andy Williams. Yeah, the opposite. Whatever Andy Williams is, is is the opposite of that. The opposite. Okay. Yeah, even though it's a standard song, it's hundreds of years old. Sure. I was always a big fan of that one. It's so dark. Did, it's a dark Christmas song. When when did it strike you that this song was such a dark song? Um, when I was a teenager. Okay, so yeah, it's just like wow, this you know Dio could sing this. He could put this on the album and it fit right in. Okay, yeah, interesting. And doing it in a Dio fashion with Vivian on guitar and Jimmy Bain on bass so or whatever. Vivian's the guitar player for Dio for you. Um, absolutely. Okay, I never. Craig Goldie was the beginning of the end. Okay, and I I'd heard stories that you know a lot. The rest of the band was not happy with Craig Goldie because number one, he's a fanboy of Dio. Uh, he admits that Craig Goldie admits that he's a great guitar player, but, um, he just never meshed with the other guys. Gotcha. He, they were like pro Vivian, I guess. Right. But, um, you know, the, the, the and Vivian weren't having it. So that's kind of the, it was kind of the beginning of the end of, uh, the run for Dio. Yeah. I was always, I always kind of heard that Vivian didn't care much for Dio. They, they had their, had their, had their differences. Yeah. But I, I know Vivian's made peace with it. I think Dio went, did too. Because when they were like the Dio tribute things. Yeah. Didn't he go out and do some of those? He did do that. Yeah. yeah. So, that's good. That's nice. So. All right. You ready to get into some songs? Uh, can I plug uh, no. another podcast I've nope. been listening to? No, you may not. <clears throat> yes, uh, I found absolutely. Uh, another great podcast out there called Rock School, hosted by Joe and Tammy Burns. Um, it, it's a fun listen. Uh, they had been podcasting since 2007, and it, and actually, it's a live show that is on 17 affiliate radio stations that they turn into a podcast. Okay. Interesting thing about them is that they do play music, and uh, well, but during they, the radio, show. but they ch- during the radio show, but yeah. they chop it up for the podcast. So um, might be something to look into. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, their home their home station is in is 90. 
90.7 FM on the campus of Southeastern Louisiana University in Hammond, Louisiana, which is about an hour outside of New Orleans up I-55. I recently caught an episode where Joe interviews a guy named Joel Miller, who recently came out of a came out with a book called Memoir of a Roadie. Oh, Axel wow. said, and this is the entire title of, this, of the book, Memoir of a Roadie. Axel said, I make a great cup of tea. Scott Whelan likes the Carpenters, and Ozzy drinks rosé type of wine. That's the entire, the entire title of the song. He talks about his career roading mainly for Stone Temple Pilots, but also Poison, Godsmack, Cranberries, and, and Guns N' Roses. Um he talked about how he started out doing, started out with lighting setup strike with old shitty equipment that always malfunctioned like Christmas lights would. Yep. Um, talked about the importance of wearing black on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, talked about the sin of losing his first road case. Ooh. The hours of his life, life lost spent laying down neon tape on the edges of the stage and making <laughs> arrows from the stage <laughs> to the dressing rooms. Yeah, it was it was a it was a fun episode. I think it's like how was it came out in like September or something. But yeah. good interview. He brought up something I was going to ask you about. Um, he called he called it a leap of faith, where you know he used to climb up uh, these rope ladders to adjust the lights, stage lights right. located on the trusses. And I guess there'd be multiple trusses. You know, I mm. I, I sell those shows. And I don't. Right. Yeah. I really don't get involved with setup of of a stage when at the arena there, but. Um, Joe Miller said big shows can have several trusses and got, and, and to get safely from one truss to another require climbing down the ladders of one truss and climbing back up right. the ladder to another one. So to avoid that and save time, he would swing one truss, oh uh, to get close to another oh truss and do the leap of faith. I do not condone any of that behavior. I, I found it kind of like, Wow. Because those, have you ever seen that happen? Have I've you ever not, witnessed I, it? No, I've not witnessed that happen. And stuff like that frightens me. It's that's terrifying. He honestly did say that he would swing it to where he's close enough to grab a chain to the nudge us and step over. It wasn't exactly exactly a you know evil Knievel type. Everything thing. in my core is is screaming right now. That is just that terrifies me. You're, well, because you're afraid of heights, I guess. No, because it's 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 not safe. It's, I mean, we've, you know, there is risk involved. Yeah. There's risk involved, but yeah, it's, you can't take shortcuts like that, man. That's, I mean, just especially, you know, and I'm speaking and I've never been a production. I've never had to get up and do trust stuff or any of that. I've watched some of that do. I've talked to some of those production managers and tried to understand that world. There's a lot that goes on in it, man, but everything that's done is done for a reason to make things safe. And, you know, we've seen enough videos of, tragedies where things fall or whatever happens happens man and god i gotta say that's you know that it just it's a it's a constant fear i mean you can do everything as safe as possible and something out of your control malfunctions and disaster strikes but you know you can't taunt it like swinging on those trusses just to save 45 seconds to climb down and climb up the next one. Maybe it's a higher trust than 45 seconds. It's just a number I'm throwing out. So don't scream yeah. at me, but, but so you're also speaking minutes. as a guy that doesn't do it. I'm also speaking as a guy that doesn't do it, but I'm also speaking me personally. I don't, man, that's yeah. I don't, I mean, your point of view can't I mean liability of it. It's a, it's a, 
it's a non-starter. Yeah, I mean, outside of just the liability of it, it just, I don't know. It's just, I've, you know, if I'm on a ladder and I'm reaching for something, like if I'm putting Christmas lights up on the gutter, you get to a point where you can only go so far reaching from that ladder. You can either <laughs> climb down the ladder, move it, climb up, and continue, or you can do that little hop on the ladder and try to scoot it over to get that extra inch or two to, to do it. I'm not doing that hop thing. It's like thing. Clark Griswold do that. Yeah, yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, no, man, you can't do stuff like Did that. Did you see that? And I'm sure it happens. I'm sure it happens all the time, but it's yeah. it's, I've never seen witnessed anything like that well you're not looking for it either and i'm sure. not well I, you know you'd be surprised how much stuff i try to just pay attention because i the world of production is there's a lot of stuff going on and i nowhere near understand all of it or it, it, a, a portion of it It looks like big just nothing but chaos it for is me. chaos but there's it's a it's amazing to watch stuff go up and come down because there is a definite system to it and a lot of respect to people that do it because they've got it all figured out from what goes in what cases order cases into trucks everything about it it's, oh he it's an amazing gigantic puzzle that blows your mind yeah he when he talked about when he lost a case he left it at the arena yeah you know and so they got it later but man he got scolded big time well and and i guarantee his life's in that case everything he needs to work his tools his safety equipment whatever it's all in that case so i mean if he doesn't have it for that show yeah. It sticks out. He can't work. Yeah, it's, it, it stuck out because they didn't have. Well, it was like runner lights or something. Uh-huh. And they obviously, you know, they had to get on the next show, and those lights weren't on stage. Yeah, and he knew that he caused that. That you know, he shortchanged the yeah. uh, short changed the fans on that one. Even though the fans probably don't. Yeah, see there's it. probably a lot of stuff. I mean, just like all the taping and stuff that you talked about. I mean, all that stuff nobody really ever knows, but all that's important to get from dressing rooms to stage or stage to catering or wherever to buses or, you know, directional, but just on the stage itself, you know, you don't think about how bright it is up there and you really sometimes can't, you know, when the lights are hitting you, you really can't see that far in front of you. Yeah, right. So you're relying on wherever that tape on the floor is to know I can't go past that piece of tape or I fall down. Yeah. Right. You know, so that's yeah it's all important stuff he did compare it to spinal tab it's just like when they got lost backstage yeah. they could find the stage door mm-hmm. he said it's like spinal tap is real yeah it's real you have to put it's down an these arrows but it's, it's and write what the arrow means on oh there. yeah yeah <laughs> dude my thing was you know i was one of the first people in in the morning and i always carried a post-it note thing and i was i was post-it note guy so at the back door i'd put a post-it note and then when you go in the door put a post-it note up and, you know, with a Sharpie, draw arrows to left and right, just until, you know, because there's usually proper signage and stuff that goes up. But I called it leaving my little breadcrumbs because it's like... For your own, for your own sake. Well, for me and just for everybody else coming in after me, you know, so, you know, the first thing everybody wants to do is find breakfast. So that was the thing. Bread, you know, put a post-it note at the door you come in and then figure out where catering is and how to get there because that's the first question from everybody is, where's breakfast? Gotcha. So you get that laid out and, you know, and again, you know, if, if it's one of those where you've got to turn every 25 feet to go down a different hallway, there was 20, you know, every turn there was a post-it note and it was, I mean, I would go through post-it notes like crazy, but it's, it was it, it, directional post-it notes you're talking about, like no, arrow just, catering or no, well, it was what's just, written on there. Yeah. I would just scribble it on there. Okay. You know, and then, yeah. you know, I, it was always shorthand, you know, it was food, 
with an arrow pointing <laughs> your coffee or whatever. Right. And then, you know, dress, and then you worry about dressing rooms and you worry about stage. And then usually by late to mid morning, you know, the official, the tours, you know, some of the tours I've been on have signs put up and do all that stuff. So those signs will go up and, and be official, but it kind of, like I said, leaves the breadcrumbs for where everything is. So when you come in first thing in the morning, you know where you're Before going. Before the roadies, the, the trucks arrive. Well, it's, it's when the roadies are coming in. Because usually yeah. they're coming in 20, 30 minutes maybe before they've got to start working. And okay. so, you know, my goal is get them to where catering is as fast as possible so those folks can eat and get their breakfast in before they got to go work. Because once they start working, it's hours before, you know, they can stop. Yeah, right. So, yeah, it's a whole process, man. And it's all important. Yeah, even, but, uh, even down to the little directional breadcrumbs. So yeah, that you mentioned that tape, man. That strikes home. Okay, lived it. I thought you'd like it. Yep. Uh, yeah, great episode. It's um, like again a podcast called Rock School. At many different subjects, each each podcast is different. Uh, worth check, checking out. Yeah, I, I definitely I downloaded it. I'll uh, I'll go in there. I'm I'm interested in going back to that roadie one, man. That'll be a fun. Listen. Oh yeah, it's a good time. I think I go first this week. You're up. I'm up. All right, so this week I am, uh, man, I got sucked into this one. It wasn't it wasn't a band I was going to do for a while just because I knew I was going to do it from this particular record. And it's, this time of year, it's supposed to be happy and joyous and Christmassy and all that stuff. But watching that Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction, Iggy Pop was talking about Nine Inch Nails. And the the quote that I've got from it was, Uh, Nine Inch Nails is a focused and relentless process of emotional destruction which paints a portrait of pain, pressure, and dissatisfaction. It's the soundtrack to that dark and lonely party that was the beginning to play out in America at that period. Listening to Nine Inch Nails feels like listening to the truth. That was Iggy Pop's description. Wow. Yeah, heavy. Yeah, it is heavy. Jeez. uh, When I think of Nine Inch Nails, I always go to this record. And it is the 1994 Downward Spiral. Big album. Huge album. And it's, it's you know, probably best known. It had the Closer song on it, the I Want to Fuck right. You Like an Animal. Right. Um, that was kind of the hit. They also had uh, Hurt was on it, which Johnny Cash redid. And made it even bigger. And made it even bigger. And uh, it was weird. I was listening to one of the satellite country stations the other day. And they were talking about what cover songs are better than the original. And that was the number one. They said the Hurt version by Johnny Cash was better than the original Nine Inch Nails version. I kind of took exception to it because before Johnny Cash did it, and I'm not slighting it, it's a Johnny Cash's version version is, is very good. But the original of that song is just as deeply emotional and oh. just... Have you ever seen him play it live? Oh yeah, it's yeah, it's it does cut like tough, a knife, man. It's yeah. tough. It's a tough song, and that's you know, and that's the closing song on this record. Skip forward a little bit to 1997. Found a quote that I thought you would enjoy. Uh, Trent was named one of Time Magazine's 25 most influential people in '97. So based on that time, based definitely. on this record, definitely, yeah. And uh, they described him as the anti Bon Jovi. That gave the gloomy genre a human heart. <laughs> the anti Bon Jovi. Yeah. 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 I, had to, I had to include that one. That, that's perfect. Uh, jumping back to 1994 when uh, this record came out. So, 1994, we're talking movies were Pulp Fiction, Forrest Gump, Shawshank Redemption, 
Friends was coming onto the scene on TV and huge. We lost Kurt Cobain to suicide. PlayStation was introduced. Right. And just a side note, dude, I've been trying to find these PlayStation 5s. And I know your daughter's young enough to where you're not going through this yet. I've heard all the news about this. I have been getting up every day for a week, if not longer, and trying to go stand outside in the cold at stores looking. I, I'm that dude. Can I ask you why it's such a big deal? It's the only thing the kids want. I don't know. Is it just because it's the hot thing? Well, I'll tell you what I like about it. The PlayStation 5, my understanding, is the first of the consoles that you can, uh, they can play older games. So like before, if you, when PlayStation 4 came out, mm-hmm. if you had games on PlayStation 3, you had to rebuy them for PlayStation 4. Okay. This one, supposedly, and I don't know how far back it goes, but my understanding is you can play PlayStation 4 games on this PlayStation 5. Okay. So that's a nice little touch to it. But, you know, I don't know. It's the, I gave up after PlayStation 2. Yeah. It's it's the gift of the year or whatever, and they evidently didn't make enough or having problems shipping them or something. But but it's it's been interesting. I went to one store in Henderson, and it was like Black Friday, like you see on TV. I mean, we everybody was standing there nice, getting along, and as soon as they opened the doors... It was a it was it was crazy. nine snails. It was a mad rush to register fourteen, where they had twelve of them, and there was probably thirty people in line. Oh God! And there was all kinds of arguments and crowding. It was it was. I just stepped back. I knew I wasn't getting one, so I just kind of stepped back and watched the show. But it was like, man, at any point, somebody's gonna get punched. It was crazy. You weren't filming? No, I didn't know. Nothing. No, yeah, cell phone. But then, you know, and then you go to another store and they're handing out tickets. You know, they've got 12, so they hand out tickets to the first 12 people that get there. And, and that's the way you nice should and do organized. It. And, yeah. And then uh, the other day I went to store in Newburgh and I got there about 5, I'm going to say 5.15. And there was two other, there's an older guy in front of me. And then uh, the second was like some kid. And so there was three of us. And we were like, all right, strong opens at 6. We're hanging out. We're just chit-chatting. And we were talking about just the experience of trying to find these. And I said, look. I'm not going to run in front of you. It's not the right thing to do. When the doors open, as far as I'm concerned, you're one, you're two, I'm three. If they've got two of them, I don't get one. If they got four of them, cool. And about five minutes till the store opened, this older lady, I'm going to say probably 50s maybe. She said she was a grandmother getting it for her 13-year-old grandson, so I don't know where that puts her in age. Just kind of walks up and like stands by the door in front of everybody, like clueless as to there's organization to this thing. All right. And the doors open and we all start, you know, nobody ran or anything, but we're all kind of walking and she's kind of hustling. Yeah. And I'm like, shit, she's, she's trying to get in front of us. And yeah, she was, she was, she wasn't making no bones about no it. No bones about it. And when we got back there, she, she walks out and she's like, well, I figured y'all were here for that. You know, you know, maybe, she, you know, maybe she made some comment about, you know, letting, letting her go in front of everybody because she was a woman and she was older. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the kid without missing a beat was like, well, my hour standing out in the cold versus your five minutes walking up before the doors open kind of goes against that. And I was like, you know what? I agree with that. Don't, don't roll up here playing that. Let me, <laughs> I don't it. know you. That's right. I ain't going to see you again. It's like, God, you're so it's, it's, I don't, I'm about to give up on the thing. And, well, just, that, that and it's like, you know what? I'll get it. And I've had these conversations in line talking to me. He's like, if I get it, I get it. If I don't get it in January, whatever, I don't care. But yeah, it's no been kind of be interesting rude. seeing the human condition play out right these last couple of days. So, yeah, we're all animals without law. Yeah, it's it's crazy, man. It's nuts. 
Uh, back to Nine Inch Nails, Downward Spiral Record. My song is the opening track, Mr. Self-Destruct. I, I, and again, when I think of Nine Inch Nails, this is the record I go to. Yeah, right. And it's problematic in a couple of ways. I can't really listen to a song or two off this record. This is a concept record. Yeah. A very loosely defined concept record. Um, but it's basically, you know, it starts off with, and, and just as it progresses, it's the losing control of, you know, it's, it's been interpreted a couple of different ways, but it's basically the downfall of somebody. It's, it's definitely an adventure. Yeah, it's an adventure. And it's, and I, I just, I can't just listen to one or two songs. It's, it's, this is one of those records that when I start on the journey, I got to listen to it, but it's, it's hard because this is a dark record Yeah, and it, but it's sneaky. It's not, you know, on the surface, it's one you, you, I'll be listening to it and I'll get three fourths away through it and then realize, holy shit, this is, this is, I can't stop listening to it, but man, this is subconsciously bringing me down. Yeah. This is, this is getting in my head. Hence the title. Yeah. So it's a great record. And I, and, and again, I don't listen to, I haven't listened to it. When it first came out late nineties, man, I listened to this thing all the time. It was just constantly being played, but I haven't listened to it for a while, but like I said, when I think of Nine Inch Nails and I'm like, oh, I'm going to go listen to something. This is the record I go to. They've got other great records out there, but this is the one I go to. And, See, and Pretty Hate pretty hate Machine's the one I'd go to just because of what you just said. Yeah, but it's it's this album draws me into it, man. I don't know what it is. And like, and it, this is a completely different sound from Pretty Hate Machine. I mean, Pretty Hate Machine was very industrial, dancey kind of right. synthy sound. They did an EP, Broken as he was leaving the record label, he was on with pretty hate machine moving to the next phase where he got a bunch of freedom that broken EP kind of led into what he was doing on this record where it got a little more guitar oriented, a little heavier kind of industrial sound, I guess you would say. Yeah. And then this record kind of took over from there. So it's got more of a full sound. The first stuff again, synthy poppy dance, you know, songs like down in it. And yeah, you had like a whole kind of dance anthems, if you call it. It takes me back to that time in my life. Yeah. That's and, why. And again, I'm not slighting it. It's a great record, but it's to listen to early Nine Inch Nails to me and to listen to later Nine Inch Nails. It's kind of the same formula, I think, but it's the sound is thinner on the earlier stuff and oh, absolutely. thicker on as he progressed. Yeah. What was that? He did an instrumental album. Ghosts. Ghosts. Ghosts one yeah. through four. And I think there's even a part five. I love that. Yeah. And That's definitely you talking about mood setter. It's mood setter, man. Yeah, yeah. I just put it on and yeah. So thinking about this record, going back to when it came out, 1994, there were rumors floating around about this thing, and who knows what was true. And I've I've tried to kind of touch on a few of them as I look stuff up. But he recorded this record in a house. He rented a house in Los Angeles. Okay. Do you know anything about the house he recorded this in? No. This house was named, he named it uh, the studio Lay Pig, L-E-P-I-G. Okay. Like French. The record itself, there are a ton of references about pigs. There's March of the Pigs, song called Piggy. There's lots of references. Yeah. What's interesting to me about that, this album was recorded in the house that Sharon Tate was murdered in by oh Charles Manson's followers, oh where they wrote God. pigs all over the house in blood. Right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the White Album. This is... this big, piggy song. Yeah. This is... That's the house he rented and recorded this record. Obviously, uh, intentional. 
Well, and, and going back to, I remember when it came out, the rumor was when he rented it, he didn't know this was the famous Tate house. Oh, come but, on. But yeah, exactly. But just, of all houses and in looking Los stuff, Angeles. because that was one of the things that I remembered from back then hearing is like, wow, you know, he just stumbled into this place and set up a studio in there and it turns out to be this house. But in looking into it, yeah, he, he knew. He had to know. Oh, yeah. Come it's, on. It's pretty famous. So, but I think in just thinking about the sound of this and again, the, the place this record goes, you gotta, I gotta believe there was some sort of weird atmosphere. Because this, this, it's not a studio in that I'm going to go in at nine o'clock and I'm going to leave at five and go home. I think he was living in this house and just had all the stuff set up. So if he wakes up at two o'clock in the morning with something, he gets up and does it. Okay. Or wakes up at three in the afternoon or whatever it is. So it's like, you know, my, my understanding is this is a full-time studio that he's living in. So anytime he gets inspired, he goes to work. Okay. Um, so you got to believe some of that haunting of that place. Well, yeah, it has to get comes your psyche. Play. Oh, it's got to. Knowing that. Yeah. Uh, 1993, recording the record, he had a run-in with Tate's sister, who directly asked him if he thought was he, he thought he was exploiting her sister's death by living and recording at the house. And he kind of he said that you know originally he he got the place out of the interest in the American folklore of it, but that encounter hit him pretty hard and made him kind of rethink things. Right. I think going into it, it was like you know. I'm interested in folklore stuff too, you know. The, it's not just a fairy tale. No, know? yeah, it, it affected a lot of people's lives. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So, um, but I don't think it moved him enough to move out, though. So, but he did, he did make the comment that you know, after you know, I hadn't really thought about that heavily until that confrontation. But then, yeah, it kind of weighed on me. Uh, another thing about this house, I think he also recorded Marilyn Manson's Portrait of an American Family. I think that was oh, also that, recorded in this house too. That makes sense. That so, debut, man. yeah. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. <laughs> uh, and then uh, did find a note said after this recording, uh, Trent moved out and the house was demolished shortly after. So, demolished? Yeah, demolished. Gone. That's, okay. Well, you know, I'd seen that uh, Tarantino movie. Once Upon um, a Time in Hollywood? Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Have you, have you seen that? I have seen it. That is a great movie. Yeah, it's just like uh, it, 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 it. Tarantino did what every person in Los Angeles probably wish they could have done. Yeah. It was a very interesting, there was a lot of fun stuff in that movie. Yeah. I wasn't, you know, when it came out, I, I heard about it. Regarding really wasn't Tate, it, in the, it was a, a huge Sharon Tate, uh, yeah. Movie really. I yeah. mean, more or less that's, that was the bulk of the movie, right? Yeah. About Sharon Tate and the, a all lot of that it, yeah. activity. Yeah. So I always thought that was the original house, but I guess it wasn't. I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, that was fun. That was a fun little movie. I did do a whole, I've made a bunch of notes. I, that movie was great. If you've not seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and you know anything about the Manson murders, that that movie to me is how it should have played out. Yeah. If you love Bruce Lee, if you love this <laughs> late 60s stuff, yep. uh, yeah, it's a good time. Yep. The album Downward Spiral uh, noted as uh, the sound Trent was focused on texture and space is influenced by David Bowie's low record. And the Pink Floyd, the Wall record. Well, and that's what I was getting ready to say. I haven't. I told you I haven't listened to this album probably twenty years. Yeah, and it's for the same reasons why I don't listen to the Wall. Yeah, because it just it's heavy. It just makes you feel miserable at the end. Right. <laughs> oh yeah, it does. <laughs> I mean, I love it. The, the Wall's great, and Downward Spiral's great, but man, I just need a lot of. I need more happy in my life. Right. Yeah. I don't need the Waller in my sorry. You know, I, I get it. I my get darkness. It. I get it. But I'm fascinated by the 
how these songs for me this record is all about how the songs are constructed because gotcha. it's not traditional band in a room there is a cut and paste element to this samples and picking some, up parts and there's deep. amazing depth of this song oh yeah yeah there's a lot of stuff. i do have one complaint what is it the, the drum track reminds me of metallica's saint anger oh you know the ridiculous over top hot snare Oh my god, dude! Does it have to be that over top? I don't know if it has to be. I don't know if it doesn't have to be. Maybe it does. I don't know. I mean, I, it fits what his vision is, but yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a little rough on the ears. It's you know, it's a lot. It's sonically, it's it hurts a little bit. Other than that, it's it's a great creation. Yeah, it's a good. It's cool. Reznor supposedly wrote the songs at a time when he was struggling with drug addiction, depression, but still regarded as one of the most important albums of the 90s and established Nine Inch Nails as a reputable reputable force in music. Collaborated with Stephen Perkins from Jane's Addiction. Drummer of Jane's Addiction was on this record. Nice. And Adrian Ballou. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I believe he's a King Crimson guitar player. I can't remember. So he's kind of a jazzy guitar player. And going back to when this record came out, one of the things I heard is, the stuff that he had Adrian do, like at the end of this song, the little guitar loop plays out is him playing. Okay. But the story I always heard was he just kind of put him in a room and said, just play for 20, 25 minutes, play for whatever you want. And then went through all those tapes and cut out the pieces and pasted them into the song where they needed to be. A real muddling moment there. Yeah. There wasn't really a, you know, and I'm sure he probably, I would assume played kind of the, the core of the song or whatever he had for it. But the, the, you know, the story I heard back when this record came out was now, man, he just had him come in and just said, had him play for two or three hours and 25, 30 minute segments and then recorded all of that and then took all that and plugged it in, pasted it where it needed to be pasted, which was, which fascinates me. I love the idea of that. Yeah. I can't imagine the amount of time he put into this. Oh, it's, it's insane. Yeah. It's insane. See, going back to, I talked earlier about the song Closer that was on there. Note I found on that one. Lyrically, it's a meditation on self-hatred and obsession, but the song was misinterpreted as a lust anthem due to the chorus, I want to fuck you like an animal. Huge in the dance clubs. Huge in the dance clubs. The video itself, have you seen the video? I, I remember Crazy. it, yeah. yeah. And, and I think the video that they showed was heavily censored. Oh, yeah. The original video of it deals with, uh, it was perceived as too graphic, dealing with religion, sexuality, Animal cruelty, politics, and terror. But the one interesting note I found is that original video has since been made a part of the permanent collection of the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. Interesting. So there's something about that video that struck. It was visually, uh, and there's no comparison. No, no, no. It's it's a it's a mini movie. It's more than just a video for that song. It's, That's right, and it's disturbing. God, it's frightening almost. I, I would never want to enter that that, that world. Yeah. <laughs> going through uh, just some other notes I found about putting this record together. He was going through a lot, talking about how fame brings weirdness. Um, the other note that I found is this album was almost kind of a precursor to how I guess his life would play out after it came out. Cause I guess he went through some severe depression, went through some drug addiction stuff. So it's almost yeah, heroin use. Yeah. It's almost like one. this record was it where it's demons, maybe subconsciously coming out and then ended up kind of coming to fruition. So that's kind of a weird scariness too, that plays into it. But, uh, one of the other things going on at the time, Richard Patrick, uh, was the touring guitar player on the pretty hate machine. First album yep. tour. Mm-hmm. 
you know much about Richard? No. He is uh, he is the founder of the band Filter. The okay. And I shot. Oh, the guy yep. that orchestrates it all. Yeah, he was touring guitars for them, and evidently those two weren't getting along at the time. So some say the song Piggy on the record is about him. I don't know if it is or not. He's and, got a bit of an ego now that you say Filter, because yeah. he's treated his fellow yeah. bandmates like crap, too. I've heard that, too, yeah. Yeah. Other interesting thing about him, he is uh, his brother's Robert Patrick who was T-1000 in Terminator 2. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. Wow. And then Robert Patrick also played uh, Johnny Cash's dad in Walk the Line. So T-100 and Johnny Cash's dad, as well as he was John Doggett on The X-Files. Yeah. Oh, a famous actor. If you've seen him, you'd know him. Yeah, you see him, you know him. But I always thought that was interesting that those two were brothers. Yeah. Don't forget Wayne's World or Wayne's World 2. He made the cameo. Was he in that one? Oh, yeah. Playing playing his Terminator character. Oh, was he? Yeah. I'll have to go back and look it up. (laughs) Downward Spiral album debuted number two on the Billboard 200 chart. Reznor interpreted the album as the extension of himself that became the truth fulfilling itself as he experienced a lot of the issues going or experienced a lot of the issues through the album in his life. Tour for the Downward Spiral included the Woodstock 94 mud-covered performance for an estimated 350,000 people. We talked about that oh, was a couple that big, weeks ago. Epic moment there. Yeah. Just to see it. I yeah. wouldn't want to be a part of it, but watching it was yeah. fantastic. And then looking that up, I kind of ran across Green Day is actually credited, credited with starting the mud fight with the crowd during that Woodstock performance. Green Day? Green Day is the one that's credited with starting the mud fight. I'll be damned. Yeah, I didn't know it. As far as the song itself, Mr. Self-Destruct, things I wrote down, it's a very process song. It's not, I mean, you can just, oh yeah. I mean, there's, it's not your traditional band in a room playing a song. It's cut and pasted, which again is what draws me to it. The idea of recording those parts, dissecting them, building a song to structure, it's just appeal. It's like putting together an audio puzzle. Kind of like the the Beastie Boys. Uh... Kind of like, yeah, yeah, similar. Stuff like that appeals to me, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I didn't really realize it till now. And to me, it's almost like cutting, like, you remember the old ransom notes where they cut the letters out of magazines and right. put it on, you know. Hide their identity. Hide the identity. To me, that's that's exactly what these this record is. It's just that audio version of Good way cutting of and pasting yeah. letters. Yep. I got you. For this song, the lyrics, it's, it's not a lot. It's pretty much, I am the voice inside your head, the hate you tried to hide, lie you, the lie that you believe, followed by a kind of eerie and I control you voice. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that at the beginning of it, it's not too bad. As it gets further in the song, the pitchiness of that voice gets a little stranger. It gets a little more haunting and demented, I think. Like in the more that little breakdown moment is where there's no drums. That middle part. Yeah. 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 It's, it's almost yeah. like a horror movie, man. Yeah. And the, the depth of the music going on at that point, that moment in the song. Cause it's, it's so far away. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's yeah. like it's down a hallway. Yeah. It's, I love it. Yeah, it's just like, you, wow. You it, know. Yeah, very thought out. The other thing about this song, too, is all the guitar parts through the song, mm-hmm. they all seem too fast. It's a very revved up song. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's and, and that appeals. I mean, it's, it's a very warped, everything about the song is very slightly off. Another slightly dimension. Warped. Yeah. And then the last minute of the song builds and builds, and it just kind of gets chaotic and chaotic, and then ends with that thirty second of static TV. guitar loop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, it gets in your head. There's a remix version of uh, it's called "Further Down the Spiral." There's I've got a couple of singles that have remixes of some of the songs on there. 
there's usually just a lot of noise on those every now and then you run across a gym or two but i went through a phase where i was trying to just collect all the nine inch nail stuff and because there's just a ton of stuff that was remixed and supposed to make the record and didn't make the record whatever so if if this record's up your alley there's a further down the spiral remix record that's worth a listen i remember that yeah Wow, I haven't thought about that in a long time. Yeah. And again, this is a record I, and I've listened to it a million times in the 90s. Recent, you know, in the last 20 years, probably haven't listened to it maybe five times just because it gets in my head, man. It's weird. But I it, love it. I it just, was perfect for the time it came out. Yeah, exactly. This is not a song. This is not a, a, not a record. I mean, I guess you can song, but you can with the song. But I don't recommend this being a casual playlist listen. <laughs> <laughs> this is something you got to maybe have the sunshine out and you don't play at the Christmas party. Don't play it at the Christmas party. You know, it's, uh, it's funny. I've, I'm doing some work in the basement and I, that's when I put it on. It was like, started listening to it. So when you're pissed, I'm down in the basement and working on projects. It's kind of dark. And I got this thing blasting through the, the headphones in my ear. And that's when it occurred to me that, you know, man, this is, this is a really bad record to listen to down here by myself in the middle of the night. It gets it, like I said, it creeps in there. But you know, if you're pissed off and you need, you need something to feed the oh, juice. Oh God, this is it. Yeah, feed the hate. Yeah, this is it. You got it. Yeah, downward spiral. Downward spiral. So, Mister Self Destruct again. March of the Pigs is another for me. It's another great song on that record that I don't yeah. think gets enough credit. That's just no, no. It's, it's just, much. I prefer yeah. that over. Closer. I mean, I, I, I would be fine if I didn't hear Closer again. Right. That doesn't bother me. Um, Hurt. Again, I like the version on this record. It's a nice ending, as just demented as it sounds. It's a nice ending to the story. As yeah, because it is a long sad story. And sad and depressing as it is. No, this is not an album of singles. This no. is yeah, it's this a, is a good, story. Perfect ending. Yep, that's my song, man. Downward yeah. Spiral or Mister Self Destruct from the nineteen ninety four Downward Spiral. Nothing says happy Happy Holidays like happy that. Happy Holidays, man. Great Christmas time uh, music here. <laughs> That's right. All right, then. What do you got for us this week, Jimmy? Yeah, how do I follow that up? You know, I'm going to go with a song I've been wanting to do for quite a while. I mean, ever since uh, late summer. My song this week is more of a tribute. I've been wanting to do this one uh, since I found out the founding member of the London band UFO, classic band from the 70s. Uh, the, the bass player, Pete Way, passed away on August 14th of this year. Um, Pete's passing makes it. Now, I'm a big US, UFO fan. I know you don't, you never really got into them. bands that I was aware of, um, never really got on the bandwagon. They never really broke through in the United States. The only reason I love UFOs because, I, like I said early on, I'm the youngest of eight kids, yeah. and you know, my brothers and sisters all grew up in the 70s and the 80s, and I had literally a thousand rock albums to listen to, you know, on the headphones, and UFOs. You know, there are several UFO albums in there, and I got into them just because of that. Right. Uh, so that's where my fan- fandom comes from. Um, and hearing that Pete Way passed away, um, you know, it, it bummed me out big time because um, he was, you know, a chief songwriter. And, you know, I saw somewhere Joe Elliott, the Def Leppard, you know, he was, UFO was a huge influence on Def Leppard and Iron Maiden and that whole new wave of oh, yeah, heavy metal in the 80s. Hear- yeah, you can hear it. He said that, you know, you got Michael Shanker on one side that was just, he, he was just, he's the first time I ever saw him live. He said Michael Shanker was on one side, stood in one place, blonde hair, never saw his face. 
and then you got Pete Way on the other side, just jumping around crazy right. everywhere with his his uh, Thunderbird bass. And you know, then you got Phil Mogg in the middle, is like Smile Tap said, he's like lukewarm water. You know, <laughs> um, Pete Way, huge influence on Steve Harris. I mean, Steve Harris is he. Um, he, he quotes Pete Way all the time about fashion, stage appearance, everything that Steve Harris is in Iron Maiden is, is, is Pete Way. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's had a huge impact on that. But so him, him passing away was kind of a bummer because it was the third member to pass away from that classic lineup of UFO. You know, one being fellow guitarist Paul Chapman, who died June 9th of this year. And then the, the keyboard guitar player, Paul Raymond, who was in the band, died April 13th of last year, who, by the way, was a left-handed guitar player, but played his strings inverted. The only guy I ever knew, a professional artist that uh-huh. did that, played his song. He played left-handed, but it was strung like a right-handed guitar. Oh yeah, because normally you always hear that you reach, you play a right-handed guitar. You got flip the strings. Flip the strings. Yeah, he did not. He did not. So the heavy strings on the bottom. Correct. Wow. Uh, I I can't understand. I guess I, I, it's sort of like when you know playing co-ed softball. You know, I'm left-handed, right. so I always bat it left growing up in the yeah. league and whatnot. And it, if you play co-ed, you guys you got to do the opposite hand. Yeah. So I was batting right-handed and. I sucked for years, but eventually I got to where I was better hitting that way because I just got used to doing it. Maybe I don't know. Well, maybe it was just done out of necessity. You know, didn't you learn how to play like that? You can pick up because I'd, I'd venture to say what at least eighty percent of guitars are right-handed guitars. Oh, yeah, if not, so more. you can always just pick a guitar up and play it if you know how to do it upside down. You probably and versus having to restring it. You probably never knew you could do that. Yeah, too. Right. Yeah. Like you know, Hendrix figured it out, but. You know, poor Paul didn't. But anyway, so the song I picked was probably their biggest known song called Lights Out. It's, you know, the ti- it's a, the song is a title track uh, for the album Lights Out. There are six of 22 studio albums they released. God. Yeah. That's how they used to do it, man. Lots of records. Just don't do it like that Produce, anymore. produce, produce. Um, release date was May 7th, 1977. Recorded in Air Studios, Associated Independent Recording Studios on Oxford Street in London. Uh, owned by Beatles producer George Martin. Um, opened up in the 70s. Still active, celebrating 50 years uh, this year, like a couple of people know. <laughs> Subtle. Yeah. UFO hired a new producer for the Lights Out album called a guy named Ron Nevison. He worked with uh, Led Zeppelin on Physical Graffiti, The Who's Quadrophenia, and produced the first the first couple of Bad Company albums. Kind of where that whole, especially this song, gets that tone that you hear that uh, kind of stands out and made right. it such a big hit for UFO. Uh, written by bass player Pete Way, drummer Andy Chapman, guitarist Michael Shanker, and lead singer Phil Mogg. And when you say Michael Shanker, that's Rudolph's brother, Rudolph from the Scorpions. That's Rudolph's brother. I'm getting ready to get into him. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's talk about. You know, let's just talk about Michael Shanker. Tell me um, about it. Well, you know, the reason why I picked this song, uh, and I had like a, I could there was I, I I narrowed down the eight songs that I thought were the cream of the crop, right? And I kind of did like a March Madness bracket. Okay. Uh, you know, it's um, I had like Doctor Doctor, Too Hot to Handle, Shoot Shoot, Only You Can Rock Me, and just kind of like okay, which song would I pick to play? And I narrowed it down to either Lights Out or Rock Bottom. That was like my that was my 
championship game. Right. And I picked Lights Out because what I dig about that song is that Michael Shanker's guitar soloing is just some, it's, it's up there with my favorite guitar solos right. of all time. And he, and I put up her like Electric Eye by Jesus Priest, Whole Lot of Rosie, ACDC, Neon Knights with Dio Sabbath, Stargazer by Rainbow, on and on and on. Not to mention Free Bird, you know. Right. It's just, it's fantastic guitar solo. And the guy was a genius. Um, Michael joined the band in 1973 after UFO, UFO's then guitar slash future Whitesnake founding member, Bernie Marsden, lost his passport back home in England and couldn't make a gig ahead in Nuremberg University in Germany. The reason why is um, they picked him is because they had an opening act that night, uh, a young band out promoting their debut album, Lopes of Crow, that went by the name of the Scorpions. Rudy Shanker was the like right. the main main guy of the Scorpions at that time. Uh, they asked if they could borrow his young brother slash guitarist Michael Shanker to do was the Michael gig. Michael the Scorpions at that time he okay. was yeah right. yeah I think he was sixteen seventeen years old. Oh wow yeah he was young. They asked if they could borrow Michael that night so they could do the gig get paid and and the promoter really was putting the pressure on because he was so afraid that the crowd would destroy the hall yeah. if they found if they had to cancel. So Michael knew a few of their songs uh, from hearing them on German radio. So the bass player, Pete Way, and Michael worked out the songs in, in the bathroom, uh, you know, in the, I don't know, behind the, behind the stage right. uh, before the show began. Now, now, Pete said it was tough because... Michael could only say yes or no in English. He didn't know <laughs> anything beyond that. And talking what keys to play in, uh, Pete had to remember that had to remember that A was R and B was H in German. So early on, they can That's only insanity. they can only communicate through music. And that gig turned out to be more of a jam session than an actual really tight right. song to song set. Just because That's crazy. Yeah, he had to like watch where they were on the guitar yeah, next. I'm, I'm assuming they just kind of stood next to each other and just, cause you see that where one guitarist will watch the other guitarist and see where they're playing to be in the same note range or whatever. So I got to imagine that that show was Shanker just staring at him the whole time. Him. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it talks to the brilliance of how a guy can't communicate right. with his band you know, to play, yeah. to play a set in front of people for the first time ever, you know, it was, it was a crazy and story. And being that young too. And being that young, that's, 16, 17 years old. Yeah. Yeah. But he was, he, when they got him on board is when that band really started hitting big. Um, you know, like I said, they never really got across in America as big as they were in Europe. Right. But, um, yeah, they were the monster, monster band at the time. Uh, another thing I love about the song is, of course, the driving bass of Pete Way. Now, Pete Way was a character. Like I said, uh, his passing is the main reason I wanted to do this episode of the band. Um, I read his 2017 book, A Fast Ride Out of Here, Confessions of Rock's Most Dangerous Man. One of the easiest reads I ever had. I'm not a reader. I'm right. really not a reader. Uh, Pete was full of stories. It was sex, drugs, and rock and roll, the entire book. 70s, yeah, I bet. Um, not only was he the bass player in UFO, but he was also the co-founder of the band Fastway with Motorhead's Fast Eddie Clark. Okay. Fast Eddie Clark, Pete Way, Fastway. Nice. Um, but uh, he had some great stories. Uh, 
uh, when he was out on tour with uh, another band he had called Wasted. He always had some reference to his last name and his bands for some reason. <laughs> uh, out on tour with Wasted, uh, especially the tour when he was the opening act for the middle band Motley Crue and the headliner Ozzy Osbourne. He was even in Ozzy's band when Rudy Sarzo left to join Quiet Riot there for a second. I think everybody's played for Ozzy right, Osbourne. Yeah. The best stories in the book are all about Ozzy, of course. They always are. Just an example, just uh, just after Pete left UFO in 1982, he was uh, busy producing Twisted Sisters' uh, Under the Blade album, right, okay. which is the one before uh, the big uh, the, smash yeah, album. Stay Hungry. Stay Hungry. Um, they were in England. Uh, Pete told the guys that in Twisted Sister that Ozzy was going to stop by, and they all got excited, and sure enough, Ozzy shows up, you know, being chums of Pete, and they scrambled in the main studio to play for Ozzy. And as usual for Ozzy, he got bored easily and kept asking Pete how long it was going to take because he wanted to get to the pub. And he was jumping up and down, just like getting anxious. And they twisted the sister thought, oh, he's digging it, he's digging it. <laughs> <laughs> After Twisted Sister finished their little set for the two of them, Pete and Ozzy went outside to uh, get a smoke to kind of calm Ozzy down. And... In this book, Pete makes no bones about his drug addictions. He's a full-time heroin user, and he took a little sniff of heroin, something Ozzy Osbourne liked to call waffle dust. Um, you know, heroin was something Pete got on when he started at the end of the Lights Out tour, toward the end of the Lights Out tour, and it kind of started the unraveling of that of that classic lineup. But um, anyway, Twisted Sister was recording at Brian Ferry Studio, Brian Ferry being the lead singer of Roxy Music, like I said, who just went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a couple of years ago. Right. Pete made the mistake of telling Ozzy that the house next to the studio was also Brian Ferry's. So Ozzy's brain, he says, started going, and he decided without saying a word to go over to the welcome mat at the front door of the house, pull his pants down, and drop a big load of diarrhea on top of it. Oh. Pulls his pants, pants back up and walked back to Pete, and Pete said the smell was so bad he instantly threw up. Mm. Ozzy's response to that was, you know, Pete, you should really try giving that heroin up. Uh, Pete Way also talked about when UFO co-headlined in America with ACDC when they were out promoting the Highway to Hell album. Pete recalled uh, walking into Angus and Malcolm's young hotel room and found them sitting sitting there like a couple of old men on their beds with two glasses of water containing their false teeth. Pete also has an interesting theory about when Bon Scott died. He believes Bon Scott died of an overdose on heroin. Uh, he'd seen Bon drink a bar dry and wasn't believing for one second the alcohol caused him to choke on his own vomit. Right. Being the heroin user himself, he knew heroin was plentiful in London at the time. And as a user, he also knew you had to be careful with a sniff of heroin when you're also consuming alcohol because it will cause your heart rate to slow down. And it was best to get up and walk around and keep just to keep your heart rate going. It was just a theory he had, but he believes Bond probably took a sniff of heroin while drinking, causing him to pass out. And the story's been Bond was drunk, went to sleep in a car. He passed out at the bar. Right. Uh, buddy he was with um, tried to, would, could not lift him to get him to his little flat in London. Yeah. So he decided to put him in his car. Yeah. To and sleep it, like it freezing off. cold or something. It was freezing too. cold, and yeah. he rolled. I don't know if he was on his back to begin with, or rolled over onto yeah. his back and choked on his vomit. Yeah, but that's he, an interesting comment. That's he doesn't believe that alcohol 
he, he would black him out. Yeah, Bond he, was known for he was a heavy drinker. He could, he could hold his liquor. And he said heroin was plentiful. Yeah, and it was That's in, interesting. It was in all the social circuits, <laughs> and he thinks he it was took a sniff when he was drinking and that's right. what did him in. Well, and I've been listening to this, uh, podcast motorcast. It's all basically all about motorhead, ace of spades. Okay. In every episode, I've gotten through a couple of, I'm on the third episode, I think. And it's, you know, they took second episode was like the A&R guy who they hired to promote the band. The episode I'm on now is the journalist. <clears throat> and they talked to just different people around that time that, around when motorhead was coming up and the the common theme i found of two of the three episodes the a and r guy both tell a story about meeting lemmy for the first time the journalist tells a story about meeting lemmy for the first time okay and they're both pretty identical in that they would go to wherever they were going to meet them lemmy would open a door or whatever ask him who they were and immediately stick a knife into a bag of white powder hold it up to their nose and say snort till it hurts and then take another one take another scoop of it on the other knife put it up to the other nostril tell them to snort it again okay and then hand them a can of some beer lager lager yeah hand them some can of lager and tell them to chug it (laughs) and both of them and, and the stories are similar but different enough that you can tell this happened on two different occasions okay and it almost seems like it's it's Lemmy's version of "Are you a cop?" Gotcha. And it, w- it, it was just interesting to me. We we're talking about the heroin and stuff like that, and, and the association with Motorhead. It just reminded me of that. And it's it's like that's just craziness. What what would you do? You you're going to meet somebody that wants to hire you to be their publicist, and the first thing is snort this till it hurts. Okay, now down this gigantic can of beer. All right, you're cool. Come on in. Oh, yeah, sort of like a... Um, it's a different time, so I guess in the 70s you just do it. But I don't know, man. That's kind oh, of... Oh, what is it when you want to join a fraternity? Oh, the hazing? The hazing. Yeah. Kind of like, this is how you get in. Yeah. But they, but both of them tell it so nonchalantly. It's just like, yeah, it's just... just that's what he did. That's what he did. And that's, He was a speed... Well, yeah, oh, yeah. Motorhead, the yeah. band name itself is, uh-huh. you know, is a nickname for someone who yeah. like, takes a lot of speed. Yeah. So that just reminded me of that. You're talking about the heroin and the association with, uh, with them. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was bad news. I mean, it, it did a lot of people in, it was, mm-hmm. but you know, it's a really good book. Uh, you know, it goes and goes into the darkness of being a junkie toward later after all the fame is kind of, you know, with went away in the nineties. Um, it's just, it's, you just shake your head. The guy was just a constant train wreck. Yeah. Um, uh, he, but you know, I hate to hear Pat Pete passed away, but if you read the book, he doesn't hold back a bit about how bad his addiction was and how unhealthy he was. And that didn't help. He had six wives either. No, no, I'm I mean, not all at once. Right. It was a rough life, a real rough life. But Michael Shanker said Pete way was the dirt. He was the rock and he was the rock and roll. He had the charisma and certainly had the biggest influence on the new wave of heavy metal. Like I said, especially with Iron Maiden, Def Leppard. The bass player of Def, Def Leppard, Rick Savage, said, you know, I thought Pete's striped pants were awful, but I still went out and got a pair. Uh, Iron Maiden play, uh, bass player Steve Harris uh, wrote the forward to that book. Nikki Six, who used to wear the same zebra stripe p- 
pants. I know he wore them during theater pain tour. And he played a Thunderbird. And he played a Thunderbird. Yeah. He wrote something really nice on his Twitter account uh, when Pete passed away. He said, rest in peace, rock star, one of my main influences. Gotta go listen to some UFO tonight. Kirk Hammond of Metallica uh, tweeted, Pete Way was a huge influence on me. He was uncompromising uh, musically. He was a great performer. He had a unique feel and wrote some some of my all-time favorite songs. My heart goes out to his friends and family, rest in peace, Pete Way. So, like I said, I was really torn on what song to pick because there are some many, there are some great UFO songs out there, but I picked this uh, because it's just, it's the best of Pete and the best of Michael. Um, on this yeah, I like your, bra- your bracket thing because I have that same, you know, when I was doing this Nine Inch Nails thing, there's, you know, there's two songs on this record. There's several other songs off other records that it's just, you know, it's tough. It's a tough call. When you, yeah, I've when never you get... sat down and do it with the bracket. I've always just gone, okay, I have to do this today. What am I feeling today? Right. And that's how I always do it. But the bracket thing, I like that. Yeah. I'll probably end up using that. Yeah. So, yeah. Lights out. Top seed. In UFO, like you said, I've, I've always been aware of them. Never, I don't think I've ever owned anything. And when I hear it, I hear it on whatever station I'm listening to. I've heard the Slides Out song a couple times lately. But to sit down and listen to it, I'm going to have to go back and look up videos because I've never, I don't know if I've ever seen a UFO video. I want to see this guy jumping around. But <laughs> but the one thing that, it, the bass line of that song it immediately hit me. It's like, man, that's Iron Maiden. Yeah. But it's not. Iron uh, Maiden is UFO. UFO. Yeah, exactly. So. And, you know, it's sort of like I compare it to, because like Michael Shanker left in 78. Now their biggest album, and most fans would agree, they're, if you could say what album do I, what UFO album do I want to listen to, they would say the live album, Stranger in the Nights, because it's like a compilation of everything they've done. Yeah. yeah, it's a live album, but it's sort of like, you know, Kiss. Yeah. Kiss Alive, that's when they really broke through. But you know, Michael was gone by that point. I mean, oh, wow. it's sort of like if, what if ACDC stopped when Bond died and that, did yeah. nothing? You right. know, you don't get Back in Black. You don't get For Those About the Rock or, you don't you get know, Rocker Bus. <laughs> Your Rocker you Bus. Get, what's the Frozen Train one? Uh, Runaway Train? No. Rock and Roll Train. Rock and Roll Train. Rock and Roll Train? Run. I don't know. What's I know the, what you're talking about. What's their last album before this? I, I had issues with that album too. Okay. Because they only, because I, I think it was the first album they did with Sony, and they only released it in at Walmart. You can only buy it at Walmart. Yeah. And that's, uh, I that was so anti cool. Yeah. You know, it's just like you're a rock band, and I gotta go to Walmart to get your rock album. Rock band's got to get paid. That's so corporate, man. Yeah. That's oh, so yeah. corporate. As so, not what rock and roll should not be. Yeah. It should not be that. But anyway, it's just like they never got to break through. You know, if they, if Michael would have stayed on, and even Pete Way had said this in interviews, it's like you know Paul Chapman took over kind of everything when Michael left, and he's like, you know, Paul is a great guitar player; he can play anything Michael can play, but he just never had that creative Didn't juice, spirit with the songwriting. He what just, did Michael go on to do? Hey, Michael Shanker Group. Oh, okay. That was the next. Yeah. Well, actually, he technically went back to Scorpions for the Love Drive album. Okay. uh, Which is like Loving You, Sunday Morning, and all that. It was the first album he did with Matthias Jabs on the, you know, after Udo left. But 
Yeah, you know, and he contributed that album, but then he went on and did the solo okay. stuff. I remember the Michael Shanker group stuff in the eighties. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Again, never followed it though. Yeah, and UFO wasn't the same after he left. If you listen to the albums afterwards, and they had some success with the Mechanics album, but I mean, as far as, but Mega I didn't pick anything. I really don't listen to anything that didn't have Michael Shanker in it. Gotcha. Yeah, that was the that was the. I think if any anybody points to something, that's the era of UFO. That's the best. Yeah, it's very seventies. Like I said, the bass line reminds me a lot of Iron Maiden. And the other thing that struck out to me is this song just starts and it just ends. I mean, there's it's just a it's like a subway train just barreling through. It just there's a few little changes getting into the chorus and stuff, but it's pretty steady all the way through. And it's like I don't know. It struck me as bizarre that there weren't no there weren't very many changes. It was just boom, it starts and it goes and it goes and it goes and then it ends. Yeah. And they, they, got, they got songs that break, have you know, breaks and yeah. breakdowns and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, this one's just straight rock. Yeah. I mean, straight rock. Yeah. It, it pretty cool. encompasses everything they are. That's it. That's it. All right. Every playlist tells a story podcast. Don't forget the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, new episodes every Friday. Email us at every playlist tells a story, gmail.com. You got any questions this week? We haven't had questions for a while. Did you get a PlayStation 5? As of yet, I haven't. If you've gotten one, let, let us know. Let us know how you got it. Did you look yeah. into it? Is it overhyped? It sounds overhyped. It's probably overhyped. They always are. But yeah, that's a, that's a lot to live up but to. I'll get people up actually fighting over it for I mean, something and drive to a store and see if they got one. Yeah, you're not worried about the battles. You're worried about winning the war. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Exactly. All right. You all have a good week. We'll be back next week for the big, uh, I guess next week will be the big Christmas extravaganza. Oh, I got I got a nice one. You got a nice one? I haven't even started thinking about it yet. I'm going to I'm gonna have to get to work. Mine's going to be fine. I try to keep it fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Have a good week, y'all. Bye.